0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. Um, Father, you are so good when we think about you and what you've done for us. We are so thankful. Father, you give us your word, the scriptures, and as we open them now, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would give me what I need, Lord, you would fill me with the spirit to to proclaim this truth. Help me to remember what I prepared, help me to to say it clearly. And God, give us all um, ears and hearts to hear what you're saying to us. And may this bring transformation to people's lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, um, I, 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 a few years ago, I had the privilege of meeting one of my heroes. This is, this is him here. Who knows who that is? Pastor John Maxwell. I had the privilege because of Brother Sam Riley. He's our uh, business works with the Maxwell Company. And John Maxwell was speaking at Hillsong Conference and... Sam and, he, and one of his employees had the opportunity to meet him and thanks to Sam, he, he dragged me along and said, would you want to meet John Maxwell? I'm like, yeah, yes, please. He's awesome. If you don't know who he is, he used to, he used to run a uh, large church in the US and now he focuses on Christian leadership. He's written like 40, see, I don't know, books. He, he is the guru on Christian leadership and as a Christian leader, I think he's great. And I've read lots of his stuff and we use it as the basis for the school of leadership that we run, and if you're interested in that, we're thinking about who's in it next year. So if you're interested, come and speak to me. So in preparation for meeting this man, I only knew I had a few moments with him. I knew it was going to be brief. And I thought to myself, what should I say to him? What do I talk to him about? What should I ask him? My immediate thought was, maybe I can thank him for his influence on my life, for all the books that he's written and how that's impacted me, I could thank him. But he's the, le- he's the guru on leadership. Maybe I should ask him a question about leadership. And I went, what questions should I ask him? And I kept thinking and thinking and thinking because I went, well, if I ask him that, that's answered in that book. If I answer him that, that's answered in that book. He's answered all my questions in his books. So I was stuck on what I should say to one of my heroes, Mr. John Maxwell. Have you ever been in a situation where you were speaking to someone and you just didn't know what to say? Maybe it was a celebrity type, or maybe you're just one of your friends, you're having dinner and you just run out of things to say. Uh, you're unsure of the things to say. Well, I think this can, can, can be true when people think about prayer. And they think about, what should I, what should I say to God? What should, I, what should I talk to him about? A few weeks ago, we finished our four-week series on prayer with purpose. Well, friends, I want to say we're not finished with that yet. I believe I've got a couple more messages in me around this, so you're going to hear one today and one next time I speak in a couple of weeks. And this morning, I want to look at this. What should we talk to God about? And I think some people think talking to God is very intimidating, if you talk to a celebrity, talk to, for me, John Maxwell was very intimidating. What do I say to this guy? How much more is it true of God, the uh, God who breathed everything into existence? The God who is all powerful, the God who knows everything and knows what you're going to ask him before you ask it the all-powerful, biggest celebrity of all time. I think people can think it's intimidating to speak to him. And in some, in some ways, we should be intimidated because the Bible talks about having a fear of the Lord. Now, that fear is not a, oh dear, I'm scared of you, but rather a reverence, a great respect for him. So in some ways, we should have a fear, but in other ways, he is the nicest father you could ever hope to speak to. And in other ways, we can speak to him just, as our dad. So friends, what should we talk to God about? That's our question this morning. But before we answer that, I want to look at what we did in the series, because the series, I reckon, was foundational in the area of prayer, because my hope is that what we speak about motivates you to pray. We started in week one with why pray, and we said we should pray firstly because God commands it. Prayer is powerful and effective. The world needs God's touch. We said we're in a spiritual battle, and we put God where he belongs. When we pray, we go, God, you are God, and I am not. Friends, there are some reasons why to pray. They're not the only reasons, but there's some foundations that will motivate you, hopefully, to pray. That first one, simply that God commands it, that should be enough. Why should we pray? The second week, we looked at the how, and we talked at free, and formed. in other words, prayers that you just... Pray as you're led by the Spirit, but other prayers that are structured. You're reading the prayers of the Scriptures or you write out your prayers, structured prayers. A, alone, pray by yourself, or pray assembled. And we've given opportunity over the last four weeks for you to gather in small groups to pray. There's still a week to go. If you don't know what to do, there's a sheet of paper out in the foyer. It'll give you the details. And D, desperate and delighted. Pray prayers where God, I need you, as well as God, I thank you. Desperate and delighted. Why do we, that was The third week was, why do we prioritize all these other things in our life over prayer? Why don't we make prayer a priority? Because, we, because of our flesh. We think we know better. Our desires get in front of the need to pray. That was the third message. And the fourth message was on what? Who remembers? Very good, Ken. Fasting. We talked about fasting. And here's a definition. Fasting is a restriction of food for a spiritual purpose. We give up food to hear God more clearly. That God will give us direction that we would see breakthrough in our lives. Fasting supercharges our prayers. That were the four things. And today and the next week I speak, I want to go with this question. What should I talk to God about? And the Bible has got lots of things we should talk to God about. But the thing I want to look at today is, under the answer, other believers. You know, God wants us to pray for the people... That are next to you. Have a look around. The people around you. God wants you to pray for them. The people in your church. The people in your life group. The people that you mentor. Your church leaders. Wow. God wants us to pray for them. And this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 through to 21. Where the Apostle Paul prays specifically for other believers. And we're going to look at what he prays about. But before we do that, what I want you to do is turn to the person next to you and answer this question. What should I pray for other believers about? Or what should we pray for other believers about? Turn to, the, turn to the person next to you. You've got one minute. Go. Okay, what should we pray for other believers? Who's got an answer? Yell out their answers. Go. They have joy and have fun. They have joy and have fun. What else? Protection. Other answers. Come on, big voices. Unity of, Unity of faith. Great answer, Neil. Know God more. Draw closer to God. What else? Sorry? For their needs? needs? That they won't fall away. Good. What else? That they would trust God. Good. What else? That God would bless them in the areas of their lives. Really good. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul gives us four things he wants us to pray about. Let me give you the context and then we'll read it. Ephesians chapter 1, it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and not just the church in Ephesus, but it's believed that he wrote to the churches in that area. That's why it's not very specific about giving names. It's a general thing to the churches in the area. Paul spent two years with, with the people in Ephesus and the elders, and he, and he knew them well, but this letter goes wider. That's the context in which we're reading. Let's now have a look at this passage, Ephesians 1, 15 through 21. Paul writes this For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, I love that little sentence, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, And every name that is invoked, and not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Verse 15, we're going to do a bit of an exegesis of the text, so hang in there. I'm going to try and make it interesting. Stay with me. But if you grab this stuff and you apply it, it will really help you when you pray for other believers. The first thing he says is, for this reason. So when we see a phrase like that, we have to look back. And if you've got your Bibles... He's referring back to what we read in from verse three through to verse fourteen, and Ephesians one three to fourteen, there is this marvelous, marvelous text, one of my favorite texts in the Scripture, which talks about what God has done for me and what God has done for you. It's it's it's, it's remarkable. It talks about how it starts with God and ends with God and what God has done. This is what it says. It talks about, in verse 3, it says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, open your Bibles, I encourage you. For he chose us in him. He, he, he called us to be holy and blameless in his sight. It says that he loved us, that he predestined us to be adopted as sons. We have sonship, the place of authority, inheritance in the family, all for the praise of his glorious grace, that God lavished on us wisdom and understanding. He redeemed us through his blood. He forgave us for our sins. And he put all things under Christ. It says we were chosen in him. And then in verse 13, it says you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. You, when you believe, you were marked in him with a seal guaranteeing your inheritance. Friends, God has done a marvelous thing for me and for you and for these people who, who, who are reading this text. And for this reason, he says in blue, I have not got, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Because they've been, God has done a mighty work and they've responded. How, have they responded. how have they responded? It says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. What a beautiful summary of a Christian. Someone who has faith in Jesus and love for people. Do you like that? Faith in Jesus, love for people. A wonderful summary of a Christian. Once I've heard what God has done and how you've responded, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. I don't think he prays 24-7 for them, but when he prays, he, he prays for them. Exactly. Out of all the things he prays for, he lists the things. He hasn't dropped the, the uh, churches in that area off the list. He continues to pray for them. Friends, how often do you pray for the Christians in your world? Every day. Every day. Good on you, Scotty. Maybe you started out praying for this person and you did good for a week, but then you dropped off. Maybe you committed to pray for someone for a season and you stopped. How often do you pray for your life group by name? Not just I pray for my life group, but I thank you for this name and this name. How often do you pray for our elders, our staff, the Christian leaders, the people that you mentor? If you're a children's leader, the kids in your children's ministry. If you're a youth leader, Blake, Caleb, the kids in your youth ministry. If you're a young adult leader, how often do you pray for the young adults? The women's leaders, the men's leaders, how often do we put time aside to pray? Could you say, like Paul does, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I wonder if that's how you can describe your prayer life. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he gives us four, four things that he prays about. And, and, and as I looked at these four prayers, that these, these, these four things that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, I thought to myself, "What's underneath the surface? Underneath the surface, why is Paul praying those things?" And 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 I've come up with four desires that I believe Paul has, which led him to the prayers that he prays. Here are the four desires that I think Paul has for the believers. The first desire is that they would have a, de- a deeper relationship with God. Someone said that. Two. They would keep going in their faith. Colleen said that one. Three, that they would know their identity. And four, that they would keep trusting God. Now he hasn't prayed those things specifically. He prays something else, but I'm suggesting that that's underneath the surface. That's the desire of Paul's heart, and therefore he prays what he does. Let's look at these four things individually. The first one is this, around a deeper relationship with God. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prays that God will give them the spirit so that the people who he's writing to would know God better. I want to make three comments about the spirit. The first thing is this, that when when, when, when Paul asks God to give him the spirit, He's asking God to give himself, because the Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is God, God to give himself to them. And if God is going to give himself to them, if God is in them, it makes sense for them to grow in relationship with him because he's in them. The second thing I want to say is that they already had the Spirit, and Paul prays here, that God would give them the Spirit. In verse 13 of chapter 1, it says that God gave them the Spirit as a, as a deposit, guaranteeing their inheritance. And then he prays here that God would give the Spirit again. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18... The scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. And the way it's written in Greek is not just be filled once with the Spirit, but be filled then and then and then. You receive the Spirit at conversion, and then you're filled with the Spirit, and you're filled with the Spirit. And whenever you do something for God, every day, ask the Spirit of God to fill you. And that is what Paul is asking, that God would fill them again, so that would know him better. And the third thing, he describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of wisdom Wisdom is about knowing what to do in a certain situation. And revelation is revealing God's truth. So Paul prays that, this, that, that our God would reveal by the Spirit, reveal God's truth in his character, but also would show them what to do in a certain situation. And by doing that, that is finding out who God is. The Spirit revealing who God is. The other thing I want to say about this text before I tell you a story is around this word no. We think of, if I say to you, do you know something? You think, do I know that information? Yes or no? That's what we call Greek thinking. Greek thinking. When Paul wrote this, he wrote as a Hebrew. He wrote in Greek, but he wrote as a Hebrew thinker. And as a Hebrew, if you think, if you said about knowing something, it wasn't just information. It was an experience that you had, an experience that you had. So when Paul writes, he wants you to know God. It's not just having information, but Paul wants the people that he's writing to to have an experience of God for themselves. I I, I here's a story. I grew up in a Sunday school where I was taught the scriptures, and I was taught to know God. And I'm pointing to my head for those listening to the recording. Um, It was all about knowledge. It was all about knowing about the kings and the judges and going into the land and and Hezekiah's tunnel. And I learned all this information about the Old Testament and I had all this stuff in my head. But there was a massive disconnect from the information that I had in my head to my experience of God. I knew lots about God, but I didn't know God personally. And friends, I want us to be a church who not just gets information. I just gave you a whole stack of information. But would be people that get that information and drop it into our hearts where we are transformed and we experience this God who is real and moves and is all-loving and is all-powerful in our lives. I want us in kids' ministry to not only to be taught about God, but to know him themselves. So that when they read the Bible, the Spirit of God makes that truth real to them, where we learn to hear his voice, that when we pray, God moves in our midst. We not just know about him, but we know him and we experience our God for ourselves. Amen? Amen. That is the first prayer that Paul prays for the people, that they would know, that they would have a deeper relationship with God. Before he goes on to the next thing, he then takes it to a whole new level of intimacy. He says in, in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which... And then he goes on, that he, he says, The hope to which you called you, the rich of his glory and inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Not only has he got the word know in blue, knowledge and experience, he prays, I pray that the eyes... Of your heart. Now, when when the Bible talks about heart, it talks about your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your—it's the fullness of your being. So, Paul goes. I not just want you to know it and experience it, but I want to take it to a new level. I want you to know this from the fullness of your being. The next three things. Here they are. Number two. Oh, here we go. I didn't say that. Where was I supposed to say that? Oh, I'm supposed to say that. I'm going to skip it. Moving on. The second thing he says is that they would keep going in their faith. He prays that they would know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. When I was in year nine, um, it wasn't a great year of school for me. And I knew we were going on our family holiday in the September and October school holidays. So I remember sitting in English class and turning to the back of my English book and writing down from like 100 the days until this holiday. And whenever I went to my English class, I didn't focus on what the teacher was talking about. I'd pull out the calendar and I'd work out what I'm up to and I'd cross off the days and I'd recount. And Because I wasn't having a great time at school and I was looking forward to this holiday, I had a goal which got me through those days. And what I reckon Paul is doing here when he's speaking about hope, he's getting them to remember the destination in order, that, in order that they keep going. When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about what's going to happen to us in our transformation, but it's also talking about eternity. And when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about that which is in front of us, that which is what we're going towards. And, and because Paul wants them to keep going, he says, I want you to know the hope heaven, that place that God has for you as the goal that he's so wonderful and so great. So that would motivate you to keep going through the difficulties of life. That that would keep going when there's struggle, when people oppose you in your faith, that you would keep on going. Keep loving, keep serving, keep loving the poor, keep being the people God wants you to be. Paul's desire is that they keep on going. The third thing, Paul wants them to do is to know their identity. He says in blue, I want you to know from um, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in God's holy people. One of my favorite movies is The Bourne Identity. Who's seen The Bourne Identity? Who likes that movie? Yeah, great movie. Jason Bourne um, turns up on a fishing boat. the, The fishermen found him in the water. And he doesn't. He wakes up. He having is it amnesia? Is that what it's called? And he doesn't know who he is. And he spends and he spends the rest of his movie trying to work out his identity, who he is. And it's not just Jason Bourne who's trying to work out their identity. Every person on planet Earth tries to work out who they are. We all ask that question: Who am I? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? What am I good at? Who loves me? Who cares for me? This question around identity. And people look for it in lots of different places, particularly young people today. They're looking, they where do I fit? Who am I? Where do I belong? And they regularly find their identity from what their friends say about them or their peer group. People find their identity in their achievements. People find their identity in what their parents say about them others through their sexual orientation. There are so many influences on us trying to drag us here and there, trying to tell us who we are. But friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, God is very clear about who you are. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible says that you are, Donna, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Colin de Moffat, the Bible says that you are God's son and you have a mighty inheritance in eternity. DJ, you are his daughter. You are a princess in God's kingdom. Friends, if we're Christians this morning, God has given you an identity and it is marvelous. And in this text in blue, it gives us a glimpse about our, our identity, about who we are. And it's a beautiful text. It says, the riches of his, God's, glorious inheritance in his holy people. In this, in this text, it says that we are God's inheritance. Now, we don't talk a lot about that. We think about our inheritance. We get to go to heaven and we get the big mansion and the banquet and the, and, and the wonderful place in heaven. But here it says that if you're a Christian, that you are the one who God's going to inherit in eternity and we're all going to love him and worship him we are there for him. We are God's inheritance. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person to be that our that, that, that God would look forward to you spending eternity with him. And it describes you as rich. It describes you as glorious. It describes you as his holy people set apart, chosen for him. And so I reckon Paul prays that because he wants the people that he's praying for to know their identity in him. Because when you know who you are, it affects the way you live. When you know who you are, it affects the choices you make. When you know who you are, you don't run off trying to get approval from others and allowing other people to tell you who you are. But when you know who you are, you can lift your head held high and say, I'm all right. Because I belong to him. I'm his. Whatever you say, I don't care what you say, I'm his. Totally different outlook on life. The fourth thing Paul prays here is that they would keep on trusting God. This is what we read in the text. He says that they may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Friends, when you become a Christian, you put your trust in Jesus, what he did in his death and resurrection, but that's not the end of the trust journey. God wants us to live a life where we trust him every day, every single day trusting him. And the reason, friends, we can trust him is because he has power For us to move in our lives. Our God is the one who makes the impossible possible. Friends, our God is able to make a way where there is no way. Therefore, we can trust him for that provision. We can trust him for that breakthrough. We can trust him for that reconciliation. We can trust him, rely on him for all that we need in his life. And this is what he says here. And he is that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. And not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, friends. The same power that God used to raise Christ to the highest place The the greatest place above all ruler, all authority, every single thing. Jesus is number one. That power that the father used to raise his son to that place, that is the same power that God has for me and for you, Tony. For me and for you, Mrs. Crawford. For me and for you, Dave. Ken, for you. Colleen, for you. The same power, Harvey, for you. Because he has that, we can trust him. We can rely on him. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live in worry about what if, but we can say, God, I trust you. You have power for me. God, it's available. Make it really my life. God, move in this place. Meet me here. Friends, Paul pays four things. Paul's four desires. Number one, that the, that the people that he prays for would have a deeper relationship with God. Number two, that we keep going in their faith. Number three, that they would know their identity, and number four, they would keep on trusting God. As we get to the end of this message, I wonder if these four things are your desire for the believers around you. Good, Scotty. It was rhetorical, but that's fine. You can answer. Do you desire these things for the people in your life group? For the kids that you lead in kids' ministry? For the teachers in the room? Do you desire that, Mark, for the, for the school that you lead? Do you desire those for those people? For the people you mentor, for the youth leaders, do you desire these four things for the youth group kids? If you don't desire them, I, loved you, I would love for you to consider Why? If you don't desire them, why wouldn't you desire them? Maybe you're all about yourself. Maybe you just don't care for people enough. I wonder why you don't desire these things. Maybe you don't know these things. Maybe you never thought of these things. The first step is having a desire to see these things in the people you lead. The second thing is to actually pray it. And my hope and my desire is that you would pray these things for the Christians around you, for your your wife, your husband, your children, for for the Christian group in which you connect, for your Christian leaders, for Christian missionaries, for those in Cambodia that we're connecting with. My hope and prayer is that you do that. Imagine if 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 every single one of us desired these four things for the believers around us and not only did we desire it but we would deliver it in praying those things for them imagine what we'd see imagine the change we would see in them Imagine we invite God to move, we, we ask God to move in that person's life, and he comes regularly at invitation. Imagine their relationships, imagine their, their character, their lifestyle, imagine them keep going in the faith, their knowledge of God, not just knowing, but their experience of God, that they would trust him, less fear in their life and more trust. Imagine the transformation that would happen in their lives if we prayed this for the people around you, for the, for the people around you. What would need to happen for you to be deliberate in praying these things for the people around you? What would need to happen? Would you need a list? Would you need to write it down? What would need to happen? Would you need to talk about it in your life groups? would, Would you need to be held accountable to it? What would need to happen for you to pray these things? I want you to think when I give you space. Think what would need to happen. My encouragement is these four things are your desire and you're deliberate to pray them for the Christians in your world. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to pray. TK, can you whack on a worship song? Let's stand together. Father, we want to thank you for this day. And we want to thank you for your word, God, that says very clearly how you want us to pray for other people. And here we see four desires. Paul prays that That the people that he leads will have a deeper relationship with God. They will keep going in their faith. That they would know their identity and they would keep on trusting God. And Father, we pray that would be our desire. Amen? Amen. And that not only would it be our desire that we would be deliberate in praying these four things for the believers around us. Amen? In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're part of the prayer team, can you please come forward? Now come on down, you guys. Prayer team. You know, lots have been said today. Sam talked about the offering, and maybe there's you you're stuck there, or or maybe you struggle with these desires, or maybe there's an issue going on in your world that you need breakthrough. Remember that power that God raised, God had to raise Christ from the dead. It's available for us. Whatever's going on in your world today, I encourage you to get prayer from nearest. and know that some other people will be here too to pray for you and meet you where you're at but let me I want to finish with one more thing if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus or maybe you did once and you're far from God I want to give you a, a moment right now to commit your life to him because that is the most important thing you could ever do so with every head bowed and eye closed if you want to commit your life to Jesus I encourage you to pray this prayer after me Father in heaven thank you for Jesus thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.